Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. This is episode 113. All right, guys, how you doing? Not bad. Doing it's good. A, it's a brand new week, and we are recording this on Monday. And we kind of thought we would get some betas next week, or maybe even today. And we got a new Sierra beta, but it's not the high Sierra. I guess it's low Sierra. Is that what we call it now? Low Sierra, high Sierra? Sure. For you, Sam, we'll call it low Sierra. <laughs> <laughs> I hate low Sierra already. I want high Sierra. Little little Sierra. I don't know. So yeah, we got we got betas of the old stuff. We want betas of the new stuff. And we can almost guarantee that when the episode comes out, everyone will have the betas of new stuff. And there'll be lots of cool changes to talk about. But we don't have those yet. <laughs> it's kind of our magic trick, right? We record the day before the beta comes out. Yeah. We do this for you, our listeners, so that they yep, get timely <laughs> software in their hands. So I, I did get the new iPad Pro, like 10.5 inch, which if you say iPad Pro 10, the salespeople are always quick to correct you and say 10.5. Do they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> at nice. at uh, the conference, when I would say, is that the new 10 inch? And they're like, yeah, 10.5. <laughs> okay. It must be one of those things like calling it iPhone instead of the iPhone. They're mm. very they're very strict about their marketing naming, which makes sense. They want to protect all that stuff. But So did yeah. you did you order one and have it delivered or did you go into the store and just grab one? So I did order it on the announced keynote day, actually. Ordered it I think during lunch on the keynote and then it arrived the, the, the launch day. So it was like Tuesday, I think, after the keynote, the the week after the keynote. It's been in my hands for about a week now, almost. Okay. Have you played with one at all yet, Alex? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, one of our clients uh, got one on launch day as well, uh, mostly for testing purposes, but it's pretty nice. I mean, it's, it's a good size, uh, the smaller bevels kind of nice it's uh i didn't realize that the larger ipad also got updated uh they didn't really seem to stress that one as much i wasn't sure if that that size was gonna stick around for long but it didn't sell well the 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 big ipad pro did not sell well and i think a lot of people were speculating that it was just going to go away but i think apple is hoping that all the multitasking split screen drag and drop stuff that they added will will make it more useful and more popular uh with people and i i think that makes sense but but yeah i went into an apple store the other day because i had not seen one yet and i was like i want to check this out and the biggest thing to me like the bezels like whatever it's 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 a little bit smaller it's uh and this it's thin and all that good stuff but the the promotion stuff is the coolest part to me. I don't know what what are your guys' thought on on that. I'm probably the worst person in the world to ask about that because I don't notice that stuff. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> For me, like a 720 
PTV is really not much different than a 1080 or I could definitely see the difference between a 4K and a 1080p, but not a lot of difference in my, just from what I see. Yeah. I did, um, it did seem like the scrolling was like really nice and smooth. It could have been the app we were looking at, but um, yeah, it, it seemed like it made a difference. So I also put iOS 11 on this thing probably within a day or so. And that might be uh, uh, influencing my experiences. I think it probably still is pretty smooth because those things, I mean, they have like, what, six cores or something crazy like that? How many is it? I don't know. It's definitely getting up there. Yeah, there. I think I, I saw somewhere that uh, since this has so many cores compared to any of the other iOS devices, its multi-core benchmark is approaching a lot of pretty decent Macs at this point. But uh, <laughs> and the single core is already better than a lot of existing Macs. But so I went there with one of my business partners and to the Apple Store to check it out. And of course, I was kind of trolling him to, to see. Because he's normally the one who gets the new iPad every year. And he's like, I'm going to skip this one, I think. So I take him into the store. And he's like, after he sees how smooth the scrolling is, he's like, wow, this is like retina to me. You know, like, once... I think when he originally first saw a retina screen, he had to look away. Because if he kept looking at it, then he was going to want all of his displays to be like that. And that's... I don't know about you guys, but that's how I've kind of been with displays since I saw retina. And I felt like the the motion on the iPad Pro, the new iPad Pros was, was that smooth. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's crazy that you guys didn't, don't have that experience at all. And you're going to have to make me boot up my air Two to check it out and see. It definitely seems better to me. Uh, but it seems like every year, the new model seems better when, when you first get it. Well, but this is, yeah, this is something it's a different kind of better though. It's not like okay, this is faster and smooth. It's it like it's moving faster than it ever could before. And it may be because I like do games for for my day job that I pay closer attention to frame rate. Uh, if you're a developer and you're doing games or something like that, you probably have something hard coded in there. So the max you ever tries to go is 60 frames per second, but it has us thinking about, oh, maybe we should try to get this going at 120 hertz. Yeah. Because yeah, it looks so, super smooth. And, you know, it's literally twice the frame rate or up to twice the frame rate. Um, you know, that's obviously going to be important for things like augmented reality apps as you're, like, panning around with an, an iPad. We might see the same uh, frames per second on, uh, on the new iPhone. Yeah, that seems pretty likely. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, if I hadn't bought the last iPad Pro, I I would consider getting this one. I I like my iPad Pro a lot. I use it every day, and I say that all the time. Uh, but I'm probably not the the average consumer. All right. So for for me, when I bought the iPad, one of the questions I had in my head was, do I buy a keyboard? Do I buy like the Logitech one that has the smart connector or do I buy the Apple one with the smart connector? And it's also got the cover that 
you know, the, the trifold cover, which is pretty cool how they actually integrated that in that trifold cover with the keyboard. So that was, that was impressive, but I wasn't really sure. And then I also thought about, should I buy the pencil along with it? Uh, I did end up buying the pencil. I didn't buy a keyboard. I ended up just using uh, one of these old keyboard case things that I had and I cut off the cover side of the keyboard case. And so now I just kind of have the standalone keyboard that I can drag around with me if I want, which actually is pretty decent. But Alex, you said you've got the pencil. Yeah, yeah I have three. the cover as well. I have the keyboard co cover. Um, you know, I resisted getting the keyboard for a long time and then I found a really good deal. I think it was on Amazon. It was like, 40 or 60 dollars off and ended up getting it and uh, it, it to some degree kind of transforms the ipad into something a little bit more like a really lightweight ipad and then you add in the multitasking features and you mean a really nice... lightweight laptop yeah sorry thank you um they're one in the same now you just think it, of it's it getting together. closer you know i even tried using screens to vnc to my mac and uh, so I could use it as a, you know, full-featured laptop. Uh, unfortunately, I connected to my Mac with the extra wide screen, so it wasn't quite quite as functional that way. Uh, but yeah, it, it's. I feel like the keyboard kind of makes it a different product in some ways. Uh, but once you add all that up, the keyboard, the iPad, and the pencil. You've now pretty much spent the as much as you would on an iPad or on a MacBook Air. Yeah, it's so good the, that you're keep, you keep confusing the two, Alex. Yeah, yeah, it's like a Freudian slip there. It's like a blurred line. Yeah, but uh, uh, the pencil I haven't got much use out of, mostly because I I don't feel like it's quite the same as drawing on paper, or writing on paper. And there are some decent apps out there, but um, you know, one one type of app I've looked for and haven't found a good option is more on the vector drawing side. There's a lot of sketching apps, but not a lot of vector drawing. So I want like Affinity Designer on the iPad or a Sketch on the iPad, uh, and those aren't there yet. But there's there's definitely some nice drawing apps. Adobe has a bunch. That support the pencil. Procreate is probably one of the more popular ones. Penultimate is not bad for note taking, but the Apple Notes app isn't too far off from that. 50... Yeah, I feel like I feel like the Apple Notes app is slowly Sherlocking all these different note apps like yeah. Evernote. Or well, now you can, um, you know, with this some feature I I forgot how. I, what the feature was exactly but you can basically long press on something bring it up and uh like a, you can take a screenshot and you can edit it in place sketch it up and then uh email it or send it over messages or whatever that was kind of cool yeah or the drag and drop into the notes now yeah so i suspect the finished Designer will come to the iPad. Photos pretty good. That's supposed to support the pencil, but I haven't tried that out yet. 
Personally, I would like something more like Sketch to show up on the iPad rather than Affinity Designer, just because for my workflow, Sketch is a little bit better for app prototyping than Affinity. But if I want to create artwork, I would go with Affinity. Well, they, I, I think the latest update to Affinity Designer checks most of the boxes of Sketch. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think in terms of features, I think Affinity Designer is way ahead of Sketch. It feels more like a pro tool, uh, and it's half the price with no subscription. Oh yeah, but, it's a very good tool, but I felt like as far as like user interface prototyping, Sketch still won out. Yeah, you you should. I'll share the video with you later. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. But the one point five update. Uh, pretty much got it up to the same level for that. Okay. Um, I, th- I think the biggest downside to Affinity Designer has nothing to do with the product. It's it's the community and and the tools that integrate it, with it. So finding uh, UI kit templates or uh, prototyping tools or whatever, very few integrate with Affinity Designer, but practically everything integrates with Sketch and or often seeing sketch uh, support before Photoshop support with some of these third-party solutions for prototyping and and such. So, you know, even if Affinity Designer is better, it's probably not going to replace Sketch anytime soon. Yeah, even with Sketch, you can buy a a, a plugin from the people that make paint code and export your drawings without having to actually buy paint code, by the way, but export your drawings to Swift or Objective-C. Yeah, there's some there's some really nice integrations with a lot of tools. Uh, the Envision app people have a plugin called Craft that'll do some of the prototyping stuff for you. There's, there's a ton of stuff there. Uh, so the, there's a lot of really good tools in that space. Uh, I haven't really looked too much at the Adobe tools. I, I know they're pretty powerful for the iPad specifically. And they have their comps one and they have got several drawing ones. Uh, there's a interesting 3D modeling app called UMake. It's kind of, it's in that vector drawing space, but you can do 3D models. It demos really well. Uh, but the downside to all these tools comes back to me not having any talent in drawing. So, uh. well, yeah. So I was like, I thought you were basically saying I don't really use my pencil, and then you listed off like 15 different apps that seem to make good use of the pencil. So yeah, I can't I try- decide if I need to get a pencil or not. <laughs> I've tried a ton of them. It's just none of them made me a better artist. So it's uh, I, I feel like I got ripped off. So maybe Sam try some of those apps, blow a bunch of money, and <laughs> <laughs> see how they are until until uh, Apple and iOS 12 has 3D modeling, or you can draw notes and export to a <laughs> Objective C. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've actually blown enough money on this iPad Pro or not. <laughs> yeah. So all in all, there are some things I'm happy about. I do wish that it had been the same form factor as the the nine inch one, whatever that is. I'm sure some Apple guys 
in the Apple Store listening to this is going, it's 9.2 or whatever. It's 9.7. Okay. <laughs> See, you should work in the Apple Store. No. no. I wish it was the, the exact same form factor because I had other smart covers that I had bought like off of, on discount websites. And now those smart covers are just going to sit on my shelf because everything's now 10 inch and the magnets don't line up. So did you have the old pro or no, I had the old, the air two. Okay. So you didn't have the smart connector either then. No. So either way, there's new cool stuff you can get with your case. I guess. I don't know if I'll have actually ever use that smart connector because the only two people that make anything that use it are Logitech and Apple. It's really not been something that has caught on very well. Yeah, I was kind of expecting Razer to use the smart connector because they make a case, keyboard case for the iPad Pro, uh, but they decided for whatever reason to stick with Bluetooth. That's weird. Yeah, even though that smart connector is going to be lower power and whatnot. I think it can power the keyboard, right? Is that correct? I'm not sure. I mean, you should have more reliable connectivity. Bluetooth isn't the most reliable technology around. No. So the smart connector should connect more easily. Um Bluetooth and close should range. should be less isn't... lag, but it shouldn't be too bad. Yeah. Bluetooth and close range isn't horrible unless you're in like a open office environment where you have everybody using a MacBook Pro or something and a Bluetooth mouse and keyboard. Then things get kind of rough sometimes. Yeah. Real-time follow-up, the smart connector does data and power. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That's why the keyboard should be cheaper than a standalone Bluetooth one. Because the Bluetooth one has to have a battery. But whatever. But So Argo, one of those things I know you've been harping on about the App Store not having that the Play Store has, and that's phased releases. But we have that now. Have you Have you tried it out yet? Yeah, we've we tried it out at A-Star Software. We did our latest one of our app releases with it. Uh, and we weren't 100% sure how it was going to work. Because you just say, give me a phase release and it's supposed to work over a week. But it's not really clear uh, at first when you're just saying, give me a phase release. Like, does it linearly linearly increase every day or is it like an exponential curve or what does it do and turns out it like does like one percent the first day like two percent the second day uh, and then it goes up to like 15 20 percent and so it's kind of like an exponential curve of release which is kind of good that's what we were looking for for the most part although it'd be nice if we could control it a little more because we have when you have a lot of users if you say give this update uh one percent of the people you can still get a lot of users testing your stuff so on google we normally say all right uh push it out to one percent of users and then we'll get you know a couple thousand users who are testing it and then we uh you know can figure out if things are good or things are not good from that um but (laughs) it's it seems like it's kind of buggy so after the third day 
kind of like we do on Google. We were like, all right, seems like things are good. We haven't had any big bug reports or crashes that have been shown up in Crashlytics. So we wanted to put it to full, and there's an option for that. So we said, you know, full release. And it says it's full release and iTunes Connect, but it has kind of continued doing the the phased release. So we're not quite sure what the deal with that is. Maybe they have some kinks to work out. But overall, it lets you do a phased release. It's, it's just kind of like the one-touch. Hope hope you want the Apple-branded Apple phased release. <laughs> they know it's best. You know. Yeah. So... But yeah, it's it's the thing that's there. I'm sure they'll work out some of these kinks. Um, I'm hoping we can get some rid of our paid apps, which right now we partially just keep around to use as kind of like the canary in the coal mine, <laughs> releasing the updates on that first, and if things are good, then we do the free apps on iOS. Yeah, well, it's a start. It is funny how every year, you know, we... We look at things that come out of Google and we go, oh man, wish we could have that. And then kind of, or it's usually one of two things, right? During the Google I.O. keynote, it's like, oh yeah, congratulations guys for finally getting that. Or man, I wish we had that feature. And Which is great though. I mean, that's, if we didn't have Google pushing Apple forward, it would, we would yeah. be stuck on the same app store that we had with, you know, iPhone OS 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be, you know, 14-day release cycles or something. Yeah, so it's it's good to have some of that stuff. I've actually had more issues recently getting my app uh, approved in Google than on Google Play than on on the Apple App Store. <laughs> our every we we've had this issue a couple times. Uh, so one of our apps we make is Euchre, which is a card game that every person gets five cards and for whatever reason not none of our other apps do but it always gets flagged as this is a gambling app this needs to be like teen rated or mature rated or something like that um because <laughs> they have stricter rules for gambling and there's also all these you know various countries have laws about even simulated gambling much less real gambling and we have to like go back and uh fight tooth and nail when, when this happens because it's some some person who is not familiar with euchre they're not from the midwest or from canada or something where most people play it and they say yep well it's a poker app gambling next <laughs> uh in their brief brief once over do they just um, look at the screenshots yeah pretty much it's like uh, it was a metadata rejection so they didn't even open the app um so we had to actually uh, there's this uh, international ratings organization uh, called IARC. I think it's International Application Ratings Consortium. I don't know, something like that. Um, but we had to go. We basically sent them an email and said, "Hey, here's our app. Uh, it shouldn't be have to be rated teen or anything, should it?" And then they sent us a response back, and then we sent that on to to Google, who was taken forever to respond there is like no call up a person or or a very easy path for managing app rejections which apple has a much better deal with now so you don't normally hear about it as much uh maybe just because of the bubble that we live in but 
you don't hear about the Google Play rejections. Yeah. But it's a thing, it happens. But we're good now. Everything they they finally were like, Oh yeah, it looks like it's not gambling. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You gotta watch that. You don't wanna get those people hooked on your gambling game. Your non gambling game. I want to get them hooked on my non-gambling game for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So what else is new? Oh, man. So if you want to complain about hardware or talk about hardware a little bit more, um, back when I got this new Touch touch Bar MacBook Pro uh, and found out that it only had the four ports and everything, and I needed extra ports because I was tired of plugging in tons of stuff Uh, a whole bunch of firewire not firewire why do I keep calling it Thunderbolt firewire a whole bunch of Thunderbolt 3 docks were announced and OWC was one of the first ones and they they uh, had they offered up a a pre-order and this was back in November and they said yeah you know it'll come within a few months or so I think January or February was the initial date that it was supposed to arrive. Well, it's June, and it's actually in the mail, and it's supposed to arrive tomorrow. <laughs> Just like the new beta, so I'll be able to talk a little about it next week. But apparently, it's really hard to get an app, not an app, but a hardware certified by Apple. That was one of the things that they spoke about as being one of the causes for their big delay so yeah i think the same is true with HomeKit devices probably follows a similar path like i know some some of the uh companies that promise HomeKit support you know it's like a over a year later and they still haven't shipped so you know there must be lots of hoops to jump through there although one of the interesting thing is they i think we may have talked about this before is apple has kind of uh loosened up the requirements for HomeKit. you don't have to go through the whole certification process anymore they opened up the spec and were like make stuff with a raspberry pi go for it <laughs> so, so maybe phil Schiller if, went over to the home kit side a little bit and shook things up oh yeah i Could wonder be. if it was like you know amazon works with everything so if they want their, you know, HomePod to be able to compete in the home automation piece of the market, uh, they need to get more people on somehow. I just, yeah. I'm curious if they compromised on the security aspect of it all because that was kind of the thing that they had going for yeah. them. I mean, to some degree, that's why I look for the HomeKit uh, logo because it's at least gone through some rigor on security. Well, and I think the the specification probably still have some type of security requirements that maybe are not there for oh certainly for Alexa, but well, yeah, it just it'll be the Internet of Things like, in general. It's it's securities, not something that a lot of companies thought about early on, which is why a lot of those devices were able to to uh, play host to some denial service uh, agents. I personally think it's pretty cool when my light switch can DOS what, <laughs> GitHub and whatnot. 
Yeah, it takes down a quarter or half of the internet. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, there's that. Or, you know, some of those devices, like if somebody's close enough, they can get onto your network through those devices. It's it's a whole new vector uh, for malicious activity. So it's, you know, in a, to me, that's one of the benefits of HomeKit. You know, yeah, it's great that there's an app to consolidate the experience, but I think it's more having some seal of of certification that this has at least some basic security built in. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you don't want you know rogue hackers coming in or just driving up to your house and installing root kits into your devices and then next thing you know your all your your bank accounts are being drained to somewhere in in uh eastern europe yeah well yeah and i'm still not sure like does does it still have that level of security with with the changes they made i'm not sure um that's one of the sessions i have yet to watch though what's new in HomeKit? what's interesting slight tangent on this is that's an article that the EU is proposing banning encryption and backdoors. Uh, oh yeah, that makes or sense. Or not banning encryption, <laughs> but banning banning backdoors and requiring encryption. Oh yeah, that sounds a lot better. I like that. Yeah. Sorry, it was trying to find the article, and one of the uh, one of the titles was labeled <laughs> "EU proposes banning encryption backdoors." Um. But there's the second half of requiring encryption. Yeah, we're we're living in a country that will probably someday ban encryption, not the other way around. Yeah, we. we... <laughs> Sorry, I'm derailing you. <laughs> yeah. Well. Well. Yeah, it's just that's a slippery slope to get down. We can go into a long tangent <laughs> on that, but oh yeah, we... probably more interesting or more relevant would be, uh, um, you know, there's. You know, kind of following on with some of the beta updates. I don't know if you guys have tried out the TVOS beta. Uh, so I yes. had it on my desktop or my desk Apple TV, and the project I'm on right now, I really needed to be able to deploy to my TV Apple TV from Xcode eight. So I I uh, wiped it today and went back to ten point two. But Argo, you were about to say. Yeah, I installed it on one of the one of my Apple TVs because I I heard that there is this uh, a feature that made it easier to like switch back and forth between your AirPods. And for the life of me, I could not figure out how to do it. So now I just have a couple broken apps, and I I can uh, sync my home screen with no other Apple TVs that are updated right now. <laughs> have you guys figured out how to do that? Yeah, it's uh, through the pause play button. Um, trying to double check. It's either a double tap or a press and hold. That seems super discoverable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's... That's, I'm going to have to go and try that right after we get off the podcast because I've been been wanting to be able to do that. So. Yeah, I haven't... Uh, I haven't... I played around with a whole bunch of different buttons and to see what they did, and and it it was the pause play button ultimately that worked. 
Okay, cool. Well, I'm and, pumped now. Now I know how that works. And, <laughs> and the re- real nice thing is if you have a one of the uh, uh, headphones with the W1 chip, you can easily s- toggle between like the internal speakers or your headphone speakers or an AirPlay speaker. Uh, so it's pretty nice. Like I've got one, uh, an Apple TV in my exercise room, so I can switch to my headphones real easy. It's pretty nice. It's a little, at least for me, it's been a little glitchy whether or not the audio works. Sometimes I have to do it a couple times. Um, I don't know if that's the Bluetooth or the beta, but um, hopefully that gets a little better. We'll give them the benefit of doubt for now, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm sure it'll get better. Uh, the W1 chips is supposed to make that a more seamless thing anyway. But I've always had trouble with audio playback from like Netflix or whatever and Bluetooth headphones on that particular device. So I don't know. I haven't tried it with any other devices yet. Cool. I'm looking forward to, to testing that out and hopefully it'll work well on my AirPods. We'll see. <laughs> so there's still like, you know, one of the things about Dub Dub this year is like it's a, a lot of it was the details uh like you know how to you know, with tvos how to get in change this speaker source um so i think it'll be a while before we really kind of discover all these little nuggets but uh erica sadoon's been writing up posts about some of the cool things in swift and, and the new xcode and she's already posted about at least three articles this week is some of the things she's found like around um, being able to pass a predicate into a dictionary to uh, to group items that was kind of an interesting feature so you know you could have an array and then break it into a dictionary grouped by whatever the predicate uh, tells you to group it by oh yeah I saw that uh, I saw her blog post on that it seems like you know, if you need to do that, it'll be super useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm sure I've run into cases where that would have been useful. Uh, I just need to remember it next time I run into that. And uh, she talked a little bit about the PDF vector images, uh, which I've been meaning to kind of switch over to PDFs anyway. Uh, the project that I work on most of the time, it's it's been around for a long time. So the assets that we have are all kind of old school pings uh, with all the different sizes, but PDF going forward would be better now that you can keep the vector data uh, for the PDF and scale it in the app without losing quality. Then, you know, not something you want to do by default for every image, but any image that you think you need to scale dynamically, um, it, definitely a nice feature. It's, Something I've been yeah, wanting was, for a while. I was curious. Do you know if there's much of a performance hit why you, when you do that? Is that why you don't want to do it every time? One of the things they said in the session is like when you include the vector data, you're, you're, it takes up more space typically than the pings. Um, especially compression, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So that that was the only comment that I recall from the session about overhead. Uh, rendering runtime there's probably some overhead with that too I 
but I don't honestly know what the difference is. And uh, Erica didn't uh, dive into that yet. I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't follow up with some some numbers about how it performs compared to the other way. Well, yeah, and I, I guess it makes sense that if you have like some you know series of paths that can make some something at some infinite resolution, it might take up more space than you know if you're if you've got apthenine turned on your two x image. That make I think that makes sense. Yeah. It's cool that we have it as an option, though. Yeah, absolutely. And even if you don't keep the vector data, like if let's say you know you're using Sketch to generate or export your assets, you know if you slice them the right size as PDFs, then you don't have to really think about the one x, two x, three x, or whatever comes after that. Uh, you just do it once, and um, you know I, I think your workflow can get a little bit uh, simpler. I mean, yeah, I like that. <laughs> arguably, you don't need 1x or maybe not even 2x anymore. I think uh, it's smart enough to downsize a 3x, but that may not always be the best result. You could definitely mess up your pixel boundaries that way. Oh, yeah. It's, but yeah, if you're not careful about making it evenly visible, that's, that's one problem. Then if you have a JPEG, you have a 3x JPEG down to a 1x, uh, you're probably going to see some quality issues a uh, simple single or two color ping illustration may not be that bad it seems like you need to worry about the the 2x and the 3x these days because uh, a lot of the rumors i was seeing that were guessing at the resolution of the the new iphone that'll come out would put it at 3x resolution as well so yeah but true 3x not the 3x and then downsized yes yeah, actual 3X. <laughs> That's true. Um, so one other new random detail that I, I was I was watching some of the security uh, videos, and I think Sam may have mentioned that he heard something about it too, uh, but uh, I think it was back in like iOS 6 when they really started cracking down on that uh, unique device identifier and they started giving us all these you know, alternative ways to do it. And we had the controversy with Uber where they were, you know, trying to figure out their own identifier based on various hardware properties and all kinds of things. Um, So Apple has actually added back in uh, a new API called device check that is specifically for that. Uh, it, It basically lets you check if this is a device that has ever installed your app it'll persist across deletes uh on the same device even if you don't have any other apps by the same developer um on it so it's kind of interesting that they uh have made it but they made it in a way so you basically can uh it's an api where you can say all right i want to store you get two bits of data so you can store zero 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 one 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 or one zero and you'll get back the same thing regardless of what device you or on on a given device you'll always do back the same thing even if someone sells the device someone else and it's a completely new new apple id you'll get the the same data but they intentionally limited the data to, to make sure you can't do 
you can't like store that identifier on the server or anything like that. So it's it's kind of interesting how they made a privacy focused way to track people across devices. But yeah, but it almost seems you can't track somebody uniquely, right? Because I guess you could track four users maybe. But well, no. So yeah, the 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 thought is, you know, this these are people who wanted legitimate use cases for this identifier still were like, we're trying to, you know, make sure people who had done a free trial one time can't delete the app, redownload it, and do the free trial over and over, or they detected fraudulent activity and they wanted to flag that device as, oh, hey, this device um, shouldn't be used for fraudulent activity, or it's been detected to use to do, be doing something wrong in the past so we don't want you doing anything in the future uh, and you could if you detect it somehow you can flag it on that device and then pull it back later so it's like a you can ban a device or ensure that they really only get one free trial um, but you have to account for oh well, what if someone has sold a device to someone else or handed off a device to a you know handed it down to a kid or something like that do you still want to do whatever you're doing. So it's kind of tricky, but it's a way to track some of that stuff that people couldn't legally, uh, you know, according to Apple's rules, uh, do since there was no u- unique device identifier, but it doesn't let them, let them track you. That's not the purpose of the API. It's it's to, to do very specific things. That's why they only give you two bytes <laughs> to, to put stuff in. Yeah. So they're like, use your two bytes carefully. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. so. I don't know. I thought it, I thought it was a pretty clever way to solve the problem for for people uh, without, like, you know, basically giving all the advertisers and and analytics people way to track you again across everything. I suppose it's a decent enough compromise. Yeah, I mean that should really be the only legitimate use case that you'd need a specific device. Otherwise. You have, you know, your vendor-specific identifier and stuff like that, and you, and the user has control. They can say, oh, don't track them anymore, or I don't ever want to be tracked, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I feel like it, they, they kind of hit the sweet spot on that API. I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess. Maybe we'll see, uh, like, four bits in the next, or four bytes in the next release or something. Oh, not bytes, bits. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be way too much data. <laughs> Need to buy a bigger iPhone. Four four bytes could be a whole unique identifier, right? <laughs> you just right, right. Yeah, I'm sure you did, and throw it in there or something. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> it would probably be enough for the advertisers to yeah. take advantage of it. Yeah. So, um, I'm kind of curious how Facebook's going to react to Apple's intelligent uh, blocker for the the tracking. Do not track. Yeah. And not just Facebook, but... It's only in Safari, though. So Chrome's not going to implement it or anything like it. There's no way. That's how they make all their money. Right. And all of Facebook's web content. And Facebook is... I, I think it's still in a custom web view. Uh, and if it's if it's in a Safari View controller, I can almost guarantee that Facebook is going to switch back to a a WK Web Viewer. That stuff doesn't apply automatically. 
Are you talking about the, the Facebook app being a web view or the, the websites that it opens up? The websites that it opens up and the... The app itself and is the app na- itself. native, but... Well, yeah, the app itself is native. The stuff, yeah, I was talking about the, the stuff they open up. Yeah, it's definitely not yeah. a Safari view controller. It's more of a their own custom... Yeah, well, I think that's about all the time we have left this week. Uh, so why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet? You can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And you can find me at Sam Corder. I'm at Alex Argo, and you can hit up the podcast at Shared Inst on Twitter. Uh, join us in Slack by going to chat.sharedinstance.com and leave us an iTunes review. You know, give us a star on overcast uh and we'll see you guys next week cool see you later